My name's Caroline Johnson, and I draw comics. I'm Graham Johnson, and I write comics. And this, this is, is who I, I am. am. My guests today are Caroline and Graham Johnson, the creators of the online fantasy comic of Stars and Swords. Welcome. Thank you for coming down. Oh, Thank thanks you. for having us. Yeah. Um, so you have um, your main project, and I don't know how current it is because I know you've been on a hiatus with it, is the uh, Stars and Swords is your main series, right? Correct. And how long have you been doing that? We started, I think we started doing the comic proper in 2010. Uh, it started going online in 2011, but it's based on a D&D game uh, mm-hmm. that Graham DM'd and we ran in college starting in 2009. So that was originally a gift to our players who had moved out of town, kind of just um, delving back into that world. Mm. And was it something that you, you did privately with them and then it kind of grew into an online thing, or was it always meant to be an online comic that you wanted to get to a, a wider audience? We were thinking about comics at the time and doing like really small things uh, but the actual Dungeons and Dragons stuff was its own thing and when everybody moved on and left we kind of leaned into it. Mm-hmm. It felt like a fun thing to, to continue. We liked the characters and I had some ideas and we ran with it. Mm. Which college was this? Oh, This was a Flagler College in St. Augustine, Florida. Uh-huh. Is that where you met? Or? Yeah. Yeah. And what were you studying there? Oh, we were both studying fine arts. Um, we're the obnoxious couple that met first day of class. And we're like BFFs because we were both the weirdos in our drawing class. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was her first day of class. It was my second or third semester. Right, okay. But she remembered. I like her story better. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the D&D thing? Was that just the, was that an actual club at the college or was that just a bunch of friends and it was a group of friends, um, mostly in the art department. Um, I started hanging out with maybe sophomore year, and they kind of had their own games, but they were kind of um, getting tired of running them, looking for something new. And um, me and another friend were going to take up DMing the next session, and I kind of pulled Graham in, and he mentioned he had DM'd before, and I was okay, you're doing it, because I didn't really <laughs> want to. Yeah, I, I'd been playing tabletop role-playing games since I was like 10 mm-hmm. so running games is pretty natural to me and of course it really fed into writing mm-hmm. pretty easily yeah and yeah there's a definite storytelling element there. oh yeah so um is it purely fantasy stuff that you were doing or did you do all kinds did you get into the I actually started playing role-playing games with Star Wars stuff oh really because I I am a I'm a Star Wars person. Yeah. So it, it led into fantasy because everybody plays Dungeons and Dragons, but I played the old West End Games mm-hmm. RPG that was around forever and moved on from there. Uh, everybody else likes fantasy more, so I kind of I wanted people to play with. <laughs> Can't do it by yourself. Yeah. yeah, we did a little bit of everything. Like we did one off, didn't we do a zombie game? And then we did, we did a game of paranoia. Yep. And for a while we had um, two nights a week. So we would do uh, Star Wars one night and a fantasy D&D game another night. But there just wasn't as much interest in that. Mm-hmm. That was also actually as we were picking up with the Stars and Swords. And 
that started to become a bit more priority and was taking a lot more effort on my end. So it was a little tiring to have to prepare even one role-playing game session a week mm-hmm. and write a weekly webcomic and make sure it all worked. So it kind of shifted. Right. And with the, with the uh, Stars and Swords, what's the, how did you work out who was going to be doing what? And how do you, what's your process for getting the, the, the story going? Uh, early on, we kind of tag-teamed a lot. Um, Graham was doing the writing because he had it all in his head from the game. But we were passing pencils back and forth and editing each other. Um, since I had more experience with pen and ink and coloring, I just automatically took that on. Mm-hmm. And then as we both got more comfortable figuring out what we were good at, I ended up taking on more pencils. Um, but Graham has shifted to doing my thumbnails and layouts because he has a very good visual idea of how each page should look. And I work better if I can see something and say, okay, that works or that doesn't work instead mm-hmm. of just having to start from scratch. Yeah, I, I did go to art school. I do have a fine art degree, but I leaned more on the writing end and she is the one that needs to be the one doing most of the drawing. Absolutely. <laughs> we started out, like she said, really, really passing those pages back and forth. Those mm-hmm. first few pages especially are, I see my hand in it still, um, but I'm kind of, it was nice to pull back. And, and it took forever. Oh, we were Because I have to wait for him to be in the mood to work on it. So pages would take weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just wasn't realistic. Yeah, it was... It was an interesting process. <laughs> uh, I think we both got a lot of good out of it because mm-hmm. we figured out how each other worked really well, and we can still use that. And it it wasn't viable long term, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our drawing was weak enough. Where I think we were learning a lot from how each other came about anatomy. We both borrowed a lot and learned to work in each other's styles, mm-hmm. which I found very helpful. Mm. Yeah, I had more of a American comics influenced style, not like complete Jim Lee type of thing, but a little closer to that. Yeah. And she was far more in the, the manga style mm-hmm. and putting those two together is kind of where it has all ended up. And I, I'm very happy with it. <laughs> yes. It was interesting watching it meet in the middle for the both of us. Yeah. And is the, the process is analog until coloring or is there a, is it a digital it depends on the project. We did one project where I did digital pencils, um, traditional inks, and then digital color. And it's just how I feel about each project. If I feel like there's a lot of technical stuff that would be better suited for me starting digital, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. If it's a really small project, I might just do it all digital. Um, but I get burnout if I do too much of any one way. So I like to find a way that's going to be a good balance. Right, okay. Do you have a preferred um, program that you use for? Primarily just Photoshop, and then if I need uh, effects, I'll go into Illustrator to make certain effects. Mm-hmm. And do you, you, you do the lettering, is that right? Yes, I yeah. do. Okay. That was an interesting skill to learn out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but I use Illustrator for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy it. Didn't expect that, but it's really really necessary and I also feel like it was it's a really good thing to be your own letterer if you're a writer if you take it both very seriously because then you can make those last minute edits in Mm. the lettering pass to make things fit or just this doesn't work with the art and the art needs to be the one it matches yeah because that's 
that is what it is. Hmm. So I need to fix these words so they're actually better. And it's nice to be able to, to do that all at once instead of having to back and forth with a terrified letterer who keeps getting edits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with the, uh, the write-in side, um, so you said that a lot of it is from, uh, from games and from um, stuff that you've DM'd. Um, but do you how how much collaboration is there for you guys for the writing? Um, there's there is some decent amount. I basically will run every idea by her, um, get feedback on very early ideas, and then go to a notebook and make weird flowcharts mm-hmm. to map things out, and then run the flowchart by her, right? And then fix more, and. A lot of times I have specific ideas about things that need to happen in an arc. I'll be like, yeah, okay, I need a quiet moment here where maybe they're, they're doing this. Or I really want to focus on, um, for this next arc, I re- really want to focus on the countryside and how the environment they're in is different than where they have been. And kind of bring a little bit of culture and those slow manga-esque moments into it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few sections in our first story arc where I noticed some gender issues kind of being problematic. There was too many male characters throwing their lives away to save the female characters. So I said, okay, we need to look into this and make sure that there's a little more balance and nothing's really standing out as, you know, too much white knighting or championing mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. And with the, because you, you, you said yours was an American comic influence and yours was a manga, did that um, change how you went about uh, planning to tell the story was or did you say we're going to use this format was there kind of a, a meeting in the middle of of length of story or? yes because I feel like and, and I think this happened to an extent that your writing early on was a little rushed I didn't feel like there was enough room to breathe mm-hmm. absolutely because um, <laughs> I really like having some of those moments where you're just focusing on like if you spend half a page showing just subtle changes in conversation. I really like doing that. Mm-hmm. And it was very um, montage early on, and I didn't feel like that read well. Mm. I actually think the real middle ground we found was that we both read a lot of web comics through the years. Mm-hmm. Like, the longer form web comics, not the more joke strip a day. Yeah, And that always felt like a meeting of American comics and manga anyway. Mm-hmm. And seeing how those longer form stories, people would tell them, I think that helped us both and just, we have similar touchstones with that. And leaning that direction is really what started to work out a lot better. Mm. Um, we do still plan out everything as if it's a, we only have 20 pages, so 20 page issue, even though it's not really an issue. So we have a beginning, middle, and an end set up at least. It's mm-hmm. not the type of thing where a webcomic just goes Yeah, and goes we don't want to like meander for 150 pages and nothing's happened and you can't even remember what the hero was trying to do in the first place. So I like the 20-page constraints because it really lets us focus on a uh, what is going to be their problem for mm-hmm. these 20 pages. Because 20 pages for us is going to last a while yeah at a page a week update when we're updating yeah exactly. which we're not it's... right now <laughs> but we will we're getting back Eventually. to it yeah so that's um because you you finished volume one which yep. was was it five or six five it was technically, technically six. six six okay and that's um that was last year right you finished volume one or i think it's actually the year before now yeah we finished <laughs> it a while ago but because it had been such a long time i wanted 
for the collected version to like a because we re-released it on Comixology as a collection last year, and that mm -hmm. was me going back through, redrawing a lot of pages, recoloring, just kind of making it a little more consistent throughout. Um, so yeah, but we finished actually working on the arc two years ago. Yeah. Okay. And have you? Did you do a, a physical print, or is it uh, not of the trade? Uh, we've done physical prints of the first couple of issues, mm -hmm. very very small runs for a few small convention appearances we've done. But we've mostly st stuck to digital. Just I kind of like it. It's cumbersome to print a 150-page book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is why uh, we've shifted to doing, we're working currently on a collection of short sci-fi stories. Mm -hmm. The whole intent was this is something that we could easily print up and bring to conventions and also show some variety and let us work on something other than fantasy for a little bit or, or try something without having to commit to a process just mm -hmm. to see how it works. Yeah. And that's been a lot of fun. We're finishing that up right now. Yeah. Yeah, I found that um, there's, you know, there is something very um, uh, honorable, I guess, is that, that when you set out to tell this long-form story um, like that, where you have several volumes and you have a, a big story to tell, and you stick with it, there's something nice about actually doing it, but then at some stage, you have time, money, constraints to get in the way, and you're like, I need to do something else to be, maybe to grow as a, as a creator, or maybe just to let people know you can do other stuff. And Absolutely. then it starts to get, yeah. So the sci I've, I've read a couple of the sci-fi things, I think, haven't I? We've, we've put one out for everyone to see. Okay. And we have all but basically two done. Well, uh -huh. technically two are out because we released the end for free. You're right. That and is it. Gemini that is 13 it. is part of Stuck in the Gutters number two. Oh, okay. Which yeah. is free on Gumroad. Mm-hmm. Nice. There's a few more that'll be in it and hopefully it won't take too much longer to get it done. But we're, they're all very different and... Well, they're all to a theme. They, are, they have a theme. A lot of... We wanted to do sci-fi without explosions or action or lasers. We mm -hmm. wanted to do very... Old school exploration isn't science cool, isn't space cool yeah. type of sci-fi. It's kind of like mid-century Asimov inspired. Mm -hmm. And do you have an influence from that kind of stuff? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. My, my middle school English teacher must have loved Asimov and that whole just school of writing because I swear that's all we read. Mm. And that's really influenced how I think about things. Um, and politics and everything. <laughs> um, so it was really cool when Graham came to me with the story that inspired the end. It was uh, Asma's The Last Question. Yep. And we wrote the end as kind of an answer to that because it's like, this, this is stuff I loved as a kid and to kind of write a, work on a comic that's working with those ideas was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And for me, my favorite book of all time is Dune. Mm. And I grew up reading it yearly so it's very fun to be actually leaning in sci-fi a little more. I love Arthur C. Clarke, mm -hmm. uh, Asimov, of course. So it's, it's nice to have, to be able to use those influences after years of fantasy. Yeah. Which is still quite fun, but it's such different muscles to stretch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did it make you want to do something long form in that, in that world, or is it, are you enjoying the short? I like the shorts for these specifically. I don't think any of them would actually work longer form mm -hmm. just because they're, they're designed to end. Right. And I don't think you would want to stretch any of these kind of things out. 
but I have a my own personal back burner big sci-fi thing that it's just going to sit there until I can get myself to it. It will not be something I make her draw. It will be me. <laughs> she will probably help out, but it needs to be on me. I'll probably mm-hmm. ink it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, it's sitting there as we all have something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to go back into some of the worlds we've created. Like we, with the sci-fi stories, we've made a lot of them kind of inform each other. And there's, there's a few ideas I think we could do a follow up on. Mm-hmm. What about visually? What are your influences visually? Oh, goodness. Um, mostly um, <clears throat> Alphonse Mucha and uh, Yoshitaka Amano mm-hmm. are my big, big, big ones. Um, other than that, just general um, impressionism. Um, what says it? Mary Cassett is like one of my favorite impressionist artists, and that's really informed a lot of how I do, do figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just a collection of the manga I had growing up and my first few American comics from Graham. Um, so there was a lot of uh, Terry Dodson uh, in that in that vein. Mm-hmm. What were the manga comics when you were growing up? What do, you, do you remember? What Which was... mangas? Okay, a lot of Helsing. I love mm-hmm. the heavy blacks and how rough everything was. Um Mars was one of my favorite series by Fuyumi Sorio. It's just really delicate line art shoujo. Mm-hmm. Um, Death Note blew my mind with detail. <laughs> like that was like background goals was Death Note. And yeah. I, I started doing a webcomic about that time in high school, but I, I just did not do backgrounds until we started working because I, I was having a hard enough time drawing figures. <laughs> <laughs> what about for you? You... Uh... For me, visually, it's not going to be a lot of wonderful classic painters. I do love them. I really do. But if we're going to be honest about my influences, it's actually not as many old American comic artists as even I expect. It's actually a lot of anime, uh-huh. uh, more than manga even. A lot of like all the old mecha shows, the classic original Gundam stuff was really influential on me. Uh, Robotech, Macross. Mm-hmm. All of that era. Definitely, I started drawing because of Dragon Ball Z. Oh right. So okay. I was right in there with that, and that was what kind of led me into all the other art stuff from that direction. So Toriyama was definitely an influence, even if it's not quite there visually. I think there's hints of it probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Ralph McQuarrie's amazing paintings mm-hmm. have always just. If I could paint like that. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you stand on the prequels? I've warmed on them more than I expected. <laughs> uh, I can put them on as background noise. Mm-hmm. I don't despise them. I just more am very disappointed in the lost potential of them. It's really more that these days. But right. Overall, design-wise, though, if you want to talk visually, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, and the sound design I could talk oh, about yeah. for, for a long time. <clears throat> um, you met in college. Where did you both grow up? I grew up in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like West Palm area. Um, 
kind of a weird place. <laughs> is that that's like the most isolated place, isn't it? Down there? Well, I grew up um, near the wealthiest zip code in the country, which is Jupiter Island. All oh, right. Mm. And so there was very much a push and pull in that area of, you know, you have a lot of working poor right next to super mansions and private security. Mm-hmm. And it was a really weird place because my family was always trying to, you know, impress the wealthy. But then at the same time, I, my first job was working at a private country, like not even a country club, yacht club, private yacht club. Hmm. That was like very hush hush, like old <laughs> society, very intimidating. Hmm. Do not speak. You are not a person. Wow. And so it was like this huge juxtaposition of, you know, seeing all this extravagance and then seeing a lot of my friends who were really struggling and it, it, it was, I couldn't wait to leave because mm-hmm. it really felt like it was a trap and it was so isolated. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I really liked, we were right next to a state park. Um, my high school was in the middle of a bunch of ranches. So there were, I always went by sugarcane fields and orange groves and cattle on the way to school. So it was kind of nice to kind of have that yeah. country adjacent upbringing, and then, but at the same time, like right across the street, there's a mansion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really weird. For me, a lot more boring. Uh, I grew up more around North Central Florida mm-hmm. in Gainesville with University of Florida there, so big college town. And then I moved up north of Atlanta to that suburban area. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of pretty boring type of suburban growing up in both. Nothing quite as exciting as Caroline had. Mm. But the the nice thing about the college town is actually it had a lot of access to comics Mm -hmm. and manga early on when, and anime when it was only a bootleg scene. I had older family members that were able to get a hold of that Mm -hmm. and I was able to get a hold of that when I was much younger than I probably should have had a hold of some of that. <laughs> Whereas my town had a roller rink that burned down when I was a kid and then we had nothing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the end. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then you both went to college and um, how, how does it work? For, were you Was is the college that you went to local to either of you or was it you both had to move away and... Well, I think we, we both moved to the dorms. Okay. Um, there, Florida doesn't really have local choices. <laughs> you really have to kind of hunt for things. For me, Flagler was the only college that even came close in Florida to offering the kind of programs I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of state was out of the question. Right. So, but I also... I wanted to live in the dorms. I wanted to get away. I wanted to be independent. And it's a beautiful campus, and it was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was definitely my goal. <laughs> and did you know that you wanted to do something with art back then? Back then, I decided to major in art. Um, I had a lot of hobbies. I, I was one of those kids who was too good at everything, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I knew art was the one thing that I didn't think could be self-taught. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to major in. So I figured anything else I could teach myself. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Grant? Uh, for me, Flagler is in St. Augustine, Florida, which is the 
basically the beach town if you're in Gainesville where I grew up. It's an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. It's a little city that I had been to all my life growing up. So I, I loved St. Augustine. And when I was finally applying to schools, I needed a third school to put on, like the ACT, when you send it out, you put three schools on there to send your results for free to. Mm-hmm. And parts of Florida do have local colleges, like where I was, it wasn't isolated. So I put UF, because I was in Gainesville, and I put the local community college, because obviously that made sense. And then I needed a third one, and I remembered, oh, there's a small little school in, in St. Augustine. Why don't I just put that on there? And they actually after getting my test results, came back at me, ordering me to apply because I would be automatically accepted, apparently. Mm. And they did have an art program, and I was starting to lean that direction and thankfully had a family okay with going into that direction because mm-hmm. that's not everybody. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that something you encountered? Or hmm? Is that something you encountered? Where you're yes. I received a lot of pressure from my family when I told them I wanted to go into art. I, at the time, I was inspired by a lot of video games. This was before the video game crash. I really wanted to get a job in video game art. Mm-hmm. And I told my parents, my dad pulled me aside, pulled me to the computer and said, okay, go on Monster right now and show me that there are jobs available in this field. And I was mm-hmm. like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and I'm doing this. So um, a lot of stubbornness there, but yeah, my family wasn't too happy and they were fighting me to change my major and be Mm. realistic. Yeah, I was, I was lucky. I got the talk from my dad that was just, you know, you do this, you, you want to do this, that's good, but just keep, think about other things. Mm -hmm. Just keep it in mind, but we won't stop you. I'll give my mom credit because she, she was more supportive because she wanted to be an interior designer, but her parents thought that was frivolous and they didn't support her. So she did have my back doing art mm-hmm. and actually my mom went to art school for a semester and then dropped out so she was always she tried to live through me going to art school <laughs> <laughs> and what um when you first started to come up with the idea of doing a weekly webcomic what state was webcomics in at that stage because you both said that you you read you were reading stuff online it would have been around 2009 2010 uh-huh. so second wave yeah you had that that second (laughs) second big wave had hit of like a lot of they were starting because we started around the same time as a lot of the second wave people i'd say their third wave though okay because because you had you had long running things already that were pretty big Mm -hmm. you had oh i mean any arcade xkcd all that was already there Mm -hmm. but then you also had things like questionable content had been running for quite a while and i'm blanking on a lot of web comics and i feel terrible because Yep. Uh, there, it was established, but it wasn't the... Like when Penny Arcade and PvP and Control Delete got huge and were these gigantic money-making businesses, mm-hmm. it was well beyond that point. Right. It had kind of stabilized. It, it was after the everybody trying to jump on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think around the same time you started seeing a lot of the long newer long-running really starting to just be really cool but not have huge followings yet mm-hmm. so it was this proto renaissance of web comics it right. felt like there was just so much potential yeah yeah we Do you hit, think that made it, sorry no we we hit the tail end of the two guys on the couch talking about video games yeah. and the start of hey maybe we can 
tell different stories, yeah. which now is even crazier. There's everything out there in web comics now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there is, and it's uh, uh, like you said, the the audiences were kind of narrowing down, but the, the I guess there's a, a benefit because the groundwork has been laid out, so it's easier to find how to do it from from start to finish, from like getting something out there. Um, but the it's the same thing with 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 a lot of stuff where you have such a volume of stuff available out there, it's hard to get noticed sometimes and get especially hurt. bad in web comics <laughs> i don't know like i feel like it's not impossible because i've looked at our analytics for our website versus analytics on uh different art community sites and just seeing how many hits we pull in for the effort mm-hmm. and it doesn't actually seem that bad it seems like there's a lot of people out there looking i feel like people who read web comics give things a chance mm-hmm. and they're looking anything that's touching on what they want to read. I know I'm that way. I have a huge list of stuff I need to keep up with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like it's kind of easy and a lot easier now (laughs) as there's so many networks based around helping people find web comics and keep up with them and cross promotion is really great because everybody's pretty nice in web comics. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when we were starting, a lot of the advice we were following was actually kind of in the pro comics line yeah. we were following a lot of like how to do things that way and mm. really kind of having to figure out on our own how do we build our site how do we advertise and a lot of that um support and information came out later mm-hmm. yeah we're very much of the mindset you know of stars and swords is our first real major comic we'd done a short before then but we kind of hit the ground running and we felt like if anybody wanted to read it or would going to we need to be at least as good as everything else out on the shelves or on the web. We got to put that effort in, even if we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been a driving force for everything we do. Yeah, There's no, no cutting corners. The best of the best, we have to be able to have our, basically have our comic side by side with them and it doesn't look too ridiculous right there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's something I, I think there's a, I mean, the, again, there's the pros of, um, to get to that standard now is a lot more accessible for creators because there is there are so many ways of finding help and there's so many ways of asking for assistance and the community exists in a really good solid way um, but at the same time it feels like there's a loss of the learning curve that, that I guess existed um, this might be nostalgia on my part but you know that the the, the 80s indie comic wave where there was a lot of like quick zine style stuff coming out that was just really rough and and black and white and stapled and posted out and it, it felt like a lot of people grew as creators during that period rather than um, and they, they grew whilst creating rather than yeah it's pretty unforgiving these days yeah, like we I mean I almost stopped drawing for a while because we were getting attacked on forums for my art not being good enough mm. And, like, people were linking tutorials on how to paint. It's like, I have an art degree. I do know what I'm doing. But at the same time, like, you know, it takes time to learn how to render. Yeah. And I see so many people who have great ideas that just get shot down early. And and it sucks. Yeah. But at the same time, there's also a wider range of what's acceptable in terms of styles. I know when I started, I was very much trying to imitate what I felt like you had to do. So I was doing a lot of hatching. I was coloring in a way I didn't really like. 
because that's what was considered professional. And these days, there's such a wide range. Like, I don't even feel guilty that I don't use a lot of patching or black anymore because that's valid even mm -hmm. in, you know, big two comics. There's just such a possible range of how you approach storytelling and art. And that's really cool. I just I just wish everybody could be a little nicer to people <laughs> trying. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's, it seems like that, you know, the whole um, adage about you do your set number of pages and then after that you're ready to to do your pages kind of thing and it it feels like the actual doing those pages is 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 like the period where you're, you're rawest and most exposed absolutely it's so hard like i really don't care what anyone says now but back in the first 50 pages i needed validation mm -hmm. i needed to know that it was okay <laughs> <laughs> and i was very very fragile about it how much of it did you have ready to go when you started putting it up? Or did you really just put a page up and then go, okay, we better keep up with this now? Well, we had a buffer. Not a big one, but we did have at least some of a buffer to start with. Mm -hmm. We ended up catching up to it very quickly. So we were doing the page a week panic every week. <laughs> but we. It worked out for it, the most part. It did actually work out. We only missed a couple of weeks and it was usually due to actual illness mm -hmm. it was it was really great to kind of have that kick in the butt motivation of i need to make this work in one week mm -hmm. and i it was really helpful in terms of not sitting on a page too long just letting it be if i can't get it right too bad you know learn from it next time and that was really helpful i don't think without a, a page a week deadline we would have gotten through the comic oh no way because i certainly cannot keep that up without like, I, I'm being so slow now because I don't have an audience screaming at me every, you know, every week that I didn't do a page. Yeah. And we didn't really have an audience screaming at us. We've, we have a very quiet... I was afraid of that, though. Right. <laughs> like, we, we don't have comments open on the website. We don't have forums. We don't... I've wanted... I don't like comment sections. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to have to moderate it, even if it's not terrible. Yeah. So our... What you could say is a fan base always, I assumed, was there because I could look at numbers mm -hmm. and see when we would sell things that, oh, this is selling more than I expected, not which my expectations are low anyway. But they're there, but they're quiet. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed since this hiatus we've been in, we've started getting some comments from people, just quiet messages on Twitter or emails. Hey, are you guys coming back? Mm. And it's mostly not been passive-aggressive questions. There's been a couple that have been a little <laughs> passive-aggressive, but I try to answer them all saying, yeah, we're, we're coming. I'm just happy to have that. And yeah. we just never, thankfully, had the week-to-week the -week murderous audience that yeah. I know some people have to deal with, and I don't know how they do it. Do you feel like you've found an audience? Like you, do, you, do you see the numbers showing a, a steady following now? Or is it? Yeah, I mean, even with us not <coughs> updating, there's still a there's a floating number of people who are reading it week to week. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed when I've done some cross promotion that my ideas about who our readers are seems to be lining up with who I'm pulling in, and that's nice to see. Is <laughs> <laughs> we really kind of um, like my idea of our audience is probably young women, teen girls, because I know I pour into Saren a lot of my awkward teen angst mm -hmm. and I, I you know, she for me she's everything I would have wanted to read about when I was a kid because mm -hmm. I was totally a troublemaker and anti-authoritarian just mad at the world and hated everything but there weren't really stories that showed that that was okay mm -hmm. 
Um, so I'm hoping we're reaching those people. Yeah. That, that's the big thing to me and how I write it is I like the idea of a character that isn't really a good person. I mean, trying, but is you know how teenagers are. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to work out most of the time, yeah. at least without screwing up pretty badly yeah. multiple times. So she puts a lot, of, Caroline puts a lot of herself and how she draws and has Sarah in a moat, and I put a lot of me into the writing. So <laughs> it's it's a combination of all of the worst teenage aspects you can think of. And yeah. I, I think it's a good thing, and I do think people actually respond to it. I I have noticed after we started it, about a year later, we started seeing more comics with characters like Saren as the leads, and mm-hmm. it started becoming a thing, and it's been a nice a nice wave to see happen, even if we're so small we kind of get buried in it. Yeah. But I like seeing that as a thing that people want to read about. Yeah. Because I want to write about it. Yeah. No, I, I think there's definitely... Um, the, the audience has been there for a while, and it's been kind of... Um, you know, the, I, I've been thinking a lot about this, about the, the big two and the main, mainstream comics. And the, for me, the big problem they had is that they, there isn't actually that many stories that can be told in that world. And it starts to get bogged down very quickly. Yeah, I got very bored after a few years. It became really hard to set aside that time every week to read everything that came out. So it's like, I've read this before. Like, give me, give me more stories like Saga, like just, or uh, Miss Marvel, anything that's just, reinvents the formula yeah I mean Ultimate Spider-Man kind of pulled me back into comics after being away from it because it was so much of that teen awkwardness Mm -hmm. that superhero comics do really well and I always loved those I grew up reading the old X-Men stuff which was the best Mm -hmm. and I feel like comics a lot of big two at least is missing that Overall, but there's those pockets. You, yeah. you get your Miss Marvel, which is absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. And DC's doing it too. They've got, I can't name them off the top of my head because I'm bad at it. But, but, <laughs> I mean, but what they've done with that girl. Canary too. Y- yep. They've, they've done, there are those pockets of remembering why a lot of us gravitated towards Big mm-hmm. Two Comics in the first place. Yeah. It's, it's not all the punching. And in fact, <laughs> I would be okay with more issues that were no punching and yeah. just, just, good old-fashioned soap opera comic drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, give me more of Daredevil and, and Matt Murdock just dealing with depression. Mm-hmm. Like, I love, uh, what was the run? Was it Wade and The Somni Wade Somni and run. All, and Vera and all that. That was my favorite Daredevil run. Mm-hmm. Just because it was very real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's really, you know, there is, there's a real skill of, of presenting that kind of, that, 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 uh, teen energy of making bad decisions repeatedly with, in like a realistic framework and then lending it to these absurd characters that represent so much stuff about growing up and being out of place and being awkward and being and that's you know that's what I think a lot of the for me that was a lot of comic books managed to walk that line very well and then it became very, they became too um, too self-aware and too, too like postmodern. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm hoping people look at the new Spider-Man movie and realize why it works because mm. it's all those reasons and it feels like the old comics. And if it does well enough, which it seems to be, <laughs> maybe people that work on the comics will try to pull some of that back in yeah. because there's a massive audience for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with fantasy stuff, do you, did you find that um, 
I mean, it's 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 there's been a a real resurgence of late with fantasy storytelling. There was always, you know, there's always the classics of the Lord of the Rings and stuff like that that always kind of ground things. And um, when I was growing up in the uh, the Dragonlance series came yep. out, and that was a big, big, another big spike, and then it kind of disappeared again. And now you have Game of Thrones, obviously, and um, there is definitely people who want to read those those kinds of stories, um, and comics used to address that back in the seventies and a little bit in the eighties, but then they pushed it away. And do you think? Do you think it's come back now? Do you think there is a big fantasy comic audience that's been waiting for something to come out? Or Yes and no. Um, <laughs> I think, from what I've seen, because uh, when I was really... I used to look into fan fiction and all that, too, when I was younger. I think the demand for that is going to be on a more indie level. I think mm. you're going to see people seeking that out instead of more like the big, polished fantasy comics. Because I've seen a few come out, and they don't really resonate or just immediately pick up that following Mm -hmm. um but i am seeing a lot of like niche um demand for fantasy um and it's you know it's bleeding out everywhere in geek culture now and it's beautiful it's nice that we can say we did a comic based on D &D and not have to cringe when we say that because when we first started it was (laughs) cringeworthy and we had to defend that we actually (laughs) avoided saying that for quite a long time right and now it's cool again. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I've seen little things pop up there and there. I have seen some fan demand for that, but not in a big, concentrated way. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the same audience that is a lot of the webcomic and manga audience that that has the potential to grow in because a lot of, when I think of fantasy comics right now, most all of them that I think about are webcomics. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of traditional print stuff, even in the indie world. There's mm-hmm. a few. Mm-hmm. They don't catch on. The, the direct market is not kind to them. No. And even when I think about the classic stuff, like the old Conans, the Elf Quest, which I never really got into, and that's weird that I love... that I, We're working on fantasy comics, and everybody always asks, oh, you love Elf Quest. Like, well, I never really... What little I saw didn't do much for me. Yeah. It's not an influence. Um, no. It's mostly Dungeons and & Dragons and Tolkien and... Dragonlance, mm. I was there too. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely Tolkien. I have to get that out of my head a lot when I'm rendering. Try not to fall into those stereotypes and mm. and uh, you know try and reinvent elves and dwarves and not just do it the same way he did. Yeah, yeah. That there's it's you know it's such a it's such a heavy blanket of influence over every in that world it's uh, and it's it's you know it makes sense that it is that, that people are so aware of it because it's such a, a, a dominant series and so um you know it's 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 actually good literature I and mean, then it yeah happens to be in this fantasy setting and uh yeah you can definitely it, i can understand that i can see wanting to understand that that exists but also not be tied down by by that yeah not not too derivative yeah just a little (laughs) just a little bit (laughs) and i i do think there was a chance for fantasy comics to get huge when the lord of the rings movies were coming out Mm -hmm. there was so that was everybody wanted fantasy then and it felt like novels were hitting like crazy everybody wanted to write their fantasy book then but comics didn't seem to 
catch on then. I mean, I know that was coming out of the Marvel bankruptcy and Mm -hmm. Image hadn't really picked up yet and comics were happy to just exist. Yeah. But I feel like we did miss a point where fantasy could have become far more mainstream in comics than... Mm -hmm. A little harder now when you don't have things beyond Game of Thrones, but you you can't make a Game of Thrones. It it exists. And nobody likes the imitators because it's pretty obvious. Yeah. And everything that does go mainstream with fantasy does seem kind of in that same um, medieval Europe vein, mm-hmm. that same kind of desaturized color palette, uh, same kind of class hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like what we really need to maybe pull an audience is maybe something that reinvents fantasy, makes mm-hmm. it something new, makes it something um, approachable by maybe people who just don't care about medieval European fantasy. Like We need something that's, that's new. Yeah. And we're guilty of medieval European fantasy, especially me, because I grew up on so much of it, and I, I'm really trying to break out of it. And her, uh, Caroline's art helps a lot because she is trying to think of, well, what kind of architecture could we use that's very different? What mm-hmm. styling could we use? Let's pull in some Middle Eastern influences. Let's pull in different cultures and different styles and different terrain, because mm-hmm. the terrain in fantasy is so important. It defines so much of what you do, of where people go. Yeah. That, that, I think, helped pull away from it a little bit. but it, yeah, I try to blend stuff. And it helps to have that art history background because I can say, okay, I want this time period, this country, and I can Google image search that. Mm-hmm. Um, like We did a lot of looking at Moroccan architecture for one scene. And, and then for clothing, I was looking at like early Judeo-Christian kind of robes mm-hmm. just to get away from the traditional um, priest or monk look. Yeah. Just try something really different and just kind of blend stuff. But that's really hard to do if you don't know what things are or where they're from or what they're called. So I've, I've been spoiled by having that art history <laughs> background. How mapped out is the, the series? Uh, it's vague enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second arc, I've got the outline ready. I know where we're going. I mean, I'm the type of writer, I start with my ending. I always need to know where it's going or I can't get there. So I, the middle's the hard part. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the second arc pretty well. I have started writing the first of the issues of it. It's going to need a rewrite soon, but it's getting there. Beyond that, though, I think we've said like the second arc could theoretically be the end, but in more of a sense of after, after this one's done, we could do more one-offs a little more. Mm-hmm. Like it, where it will go will allow for that in a better way, which is on purpose. <laughs> yeah, and I've set up concept art, which has changed so much through the years in, in the best ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have kind of mapped out who our main characters are and how they look, and I know how, kind of figuring out how they look has informed him writing them, which then when I read his revisions informs me finalizing their look, so that's helpful. Um, trying to look at, um, I have little folders of architecture and landscape for each of the settings we're going to be in. So mm-hmm. I kind of know going in, all right, this is how this needs to look. Um, so I'm ready to go as soon as <laughs> I actually can sit down and draw and make myself do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, how, how does that work for you, finding the time to do all of this? Is that? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, usually it's, well, right now since I'm unemployed, it's just days I don't have chores. I sit down, put on a podcast, and just go. Mm-hmm. And my computer screen has everything up. 
Um, when I'm working, I usually have, I, I really do ritualize it to get me into that headspace. I'll put headphones on, put on trance music, and then I just zone and go for a few hours. I got, got my caffeinated tea or I can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of, I set goals for myself. So I'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to get two p panels done right now. Mm -hmm. Or if I finish the page, I can go do something else. And just setting little goals kind of helps me get through it. I'm in a weirder place. Uh, just because I have a full-time job for the first time. My usual writing schedule used to be I wrote best in the ungodly hours of the night. Mm -hmm. it, midnight to 3 a.m. was good writing time. Just <laughs> Caroline had gone to bed. I put on some kind of music without lyrics yeah. and just go. And that's not really doable when you have to actually get up on a regular schedule. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out a way to do that. And hopefully will soon. I, I have some ideas on how to work that schedule in. Mm -hmm. Writing is obviously, while time-consuming, a very different kind of time-consuming than art. Yeah. So it will be much easier for me to work that in. Yeah. Do you do anything during lunch breaks? Or? That's part of probably what's going to be happening, <laughs> is, is bringing the iPad to work and writing when I have time. Mm-hmm. How um, how mobile are you with your art stuff? Are you able to... Not at all. No? No. If I'm not at my desk, I can't draw. Mm -hmm. I have to have my... But the, thing, the good thing is, though, is if I have everything aligned, it will work every single time. <laughs> it's like this Pavlovian thing. I have to do it everything the same way, and then it's just it just goes. Yeah. And I like that. I've also been frustrated because I've like had down times at various jobs where I wanted to just work on um, doing some concept art, just flushing stuff out, and I just can't make it happen. Mm -hmm. But I guess I can't complain because I know a lot of people sit down and just can't draw. Yeah. Um, for the the series, where's the best place to see it? You have the website, right? Which is yep. So www.ofstarsandswords.com. Uh huh. And it's all up on Comicsology. It's on Comixology as well, or Gumroad if you prefer that. Mm -hmm. uh, same prices. The trade is only on Comixology. Though. Okay. Yeah, but if you go to the website and click on store, everything's there. Um, anything we ever produce will be linked on that site. Mm -hmm. We very much like cross-linking. Right. And for uh, conventions, you, did, you said you did a couple of smaller ones in Florida? Yes. Um, is there any plans for anything coming up? Not tabling right now. Um, we might go and do something on foot local at some point, but mm -hmm. we're still just getting getting settled out here after moving and right reevaluating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just being so focused on digital makes conventions a little a little harder to do and mm -hmm. almost seem unnecessary beyond the networking part. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like we don't have enough output to justify the rising cost of a table these days mm -hmm. like we've been oh, yeah. in a few projects where we've um we're going to be get you know we get copies so that'll be more to have on the table but that the cost of entry the cost of actually getting your banner and getting everything you need is just such a barrier and yeah i don't feel like dealing with it yet <laughs> yeah we just we're able to be digital so much that it's kind of spoiled us mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not fair uh, fantasy conventions have you ever thought about I, looking into them I have thought about Gen Con because mm -hmm. I know at least a few other fantasy comic people go there and do quite well. Yeah. Um, 
since it obviously is Gen Con is Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop gaming focused, comics that are related to that do very well. Mm-hmm. So I, I've thought about it, but they're also a little further away. Mm. I so. guess someday we could do like a trade or like a, what's it, like medieval you know, thing. <laughs> I'm blanking right That's now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I think I do. You're not helping. I really I can't find the words either. <laughs> this is me. This is me dodging as well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming down, and uh, hopefully it wasn't too hot in here. It can get a little steamy in here when it's too hot outside, but it's pretty nice. Oh, it's cozy. Yeah, oh, this good. is nice. Yeah, I think the fan helps as well. <laughs> um, thank you. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.